This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum, and this week you are in for a treat. Sue Donaldson joins me to discuss why she practices hospitality. She also shares why hospitality is more than simply entertaining. She also talks about how extending an invitation is an opportunity to show people Jesus. I absolutely loved this conversation because Sue is funny, she's genuine, she offers practical advice, and she shares from a place of experience. If something Sue shares resonates with you, will you take a moment and share it with me? You can do that on Instagram at graceenoughpodcast underscore Amber, or send me an email at graceenoughpodcast at gmail.com. Okay, let's drop in to this week's conversation. Good afternoon, Sue, and welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Thank you, Amber. It's a delight to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm thankful that you're here. And so I love to just start off by having my guests introduce themselves, their family, and tell everybody a little bit about what you do on a day-to-day basis. I'm a late bloomer, got married, uh, raised in Southern California, uh, was a high school English teacher, Went to Brazil for a couple of years with um, Wycliffe Bible Translators. I love that organization. Joined them again, uh, just in administration and said yes to my husband the second time he asked me three years later and married into San Luis Obispo at 35. And so we have three daughters, miraculously so, and had a surprise treat when I was almost 44. And so I have three grown daughters. No, (laughs) ma'am. No, ma'am. Yeah. So there's time for everybody. Yeah. I was shocked. She tells everybody, mom, I was a mistake. Oh no, honey, a surprise treat. That's right. And so that's exactly right. So we have three grown daughters and I um, am a women's event, Christian women's event speaker more than a podcaster, but I'm also been podcasting to my delight the last couple of years on legacy, living your legacy now. Um, make it count legacy. And I love to write as well. And so during the shutdown, you know, I, all my speaking engagements were shut down. So I've done some more writing, which has been fun, but I just really come alive when I get to see people face to face, whether it's just a few women in my living room or a hundred people at a conference center. So things are beginning to pick up and I'm so grateful. Yes. Well, tell everybody a little bit, how did you come to know Jesus? Well, uh, I was born in the choir loft. Well, not really, but I um, was (laughs) raised in a Christian home. I remember getting baptized at age six. I probably didn't have a great understanding Mm -hmm. of the gospel because I was six. I remember complaining that the water wasn't warm enough. So that's sort of continued. You know, I like, I'm kind of a a weather wimp. (laughs) But um, so I remember for sure, uh, acknowledging Christ as my savior when I was eight at a good news club that my mother hosted. Uh, then I went through a, uh, doubting, great doubting period. It wasn't great, but it was a long, about a year and a half in college. I went to a small Christian college 
and it wasn't the college's fault. I just woke up one day and thought maybe God doesn't really exist and that my I've been snafu'd by my parents that not, you know, not that they did it on purpose, but that God wasn't really real and the gospel mm -hmm. wasn't really true. And so I like to tell that story. That's a whole nother podcast because I think people are afraid to voice their doubts as if God can't handle their questions. Amen. And so one of the main things that helped me come back was when I told a professor, uh, Mr. Hills, I have doubts. And of course, my throat was all cloggy because I was embarrassed to say those words. And also because I respected him so much. Mm -hmm. And as a good English professor would do, he just sort of gazed up into the sky. We were between buildings. I know exactly what sidewalk we were on. And by the way, Amber, he has no recollection of this story. I've told it to him many times. Isn't that interesting? But it is interesting how God uses us and then erases it from our minds so we don't get big headed <laughs> for one thing. But um, he looked up into the sky far off like, and then he said, well, Sue, if God is not big enough for our questions, then he's not really a big enough God, is he? That's all he said. No commentary like, oh, can I pray for you? Let's sit down and talk about it. And then he just went on his way. And I was floored with the truth of that statement. Yeah. And it took me another six months or so, which is, a, again, another story. But God in his goodness brought me back so that it was my own faith and not my parents. Yeah. And so at, having taught in a Christian high school, uh, I was able to share that story every year with a new set of students because some of them were like in Christian preschool on up yeah. and no one ever talked that way. Well, and I love that because I went through a very similar season in post-college and um, I, I remember some people in my life speaking much wisdom to that. And I remember, praise God, that some younger people that I didn't put as much hope in <laughs> speaking some things over me about doubt that could have easily led me a different direction. And that was God in oh. his grace, not mm. allowing that to happen. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree that it can actually be such a healthy thing to ask some of those questions and press in um, and ask God, you know, to help us through it. So kudos to you for pushing in. Well, kudos to God. And we are going to be talking about conversation um, starters or questions later on in the podcast. So it kind of has to do with that as well. Yeah. Oh, I look forward to that. Well, tell me, um, you grew up in a Christian home, but you do so much with hospitality and speak on it. And not only do you speak on it, you live it out. I know that because I have seen you do that in Facebook groups and things like that. But did you grow up? in a hospitable home? And if so, like, what was that like? What did your mom, your dad, um, your family in general do? Uh, I would say a resounding yes. And um, when you grow up in a certain home, you think that's the norm. So mm -hmm. I didn't think it was anything special. Uh, as I got older, I heard people refer to my mother as the hospitality queen. I love it. But she, um, she didn't think about that. She just loved people. She was a people gatherer. There was never a stranger that Betty Moore met. And I am afraid much to my children's chagrin, chagrin that I am the same way. Yeah. But um, <laughs> the, the cool thing about it is that later on, I realized how important it was. And my, you asked how they did it. They were not entertainers. We didn't drink. We didn't have alcohol in the home. 
we didn't know about appetizers. We just knew about two roast chickens on time bake in the oven before we got to church. And of course, we always drove two separate cars. If you want to be on time, you go with my dad. If you want to be a little late, you go with my mother because she was so busy getting food ready in case someone would be invited for dinner. I mean, oh, just, in really, case. just in case. And um, so oh. we went to a mid-sized Baptist church. And so she would look out for who was new. And we would just hear her calling across the parking lot. Hi, get home and, you know, make sure the oven's on and we have so-and-so coming for dinner. So we were used to that. We had three ping pong tables at one point and my dad would always play ping pong with the men and the women would always be saying, what can I do to help? And so that made my sisters and I not have to do quite so much work so that we liked company. But we were uh, used to strangers. <laughs> yeah. I remember when Susan Alexander Yates was on our show and mm -hmm. she talks about like, you know, have a ping pong table at your house. We found yep. one for like 10 bucks. Yep. And it's so funny that you say that again, because I've been recently thinking about as my kids get older, like what are some things that we can, you know, have here to where mm -hmm. people actually want to be here? Mm -hmm. um, so that's interesting because I know times have changed, but I'm like, I think people oh, no. would still enjoy still that. Are. They do. And that reminds me, this woman had uh, five daughters well, she's gone to heaven now with cancer. But when I was first married and I went to her house, she had a beautiful home and there was a pool table or a ping pong table in the living room. And I said to yeah. her, why do you have one there? She goes, I want my kids friends here at my house under my watch. Mm. So she was a very smart woman yeah. because if you have a pool table or we have a miniature, um, what, are the, what that game is, I forgot. What oh, like foosball. Yeah, foosball, we have a miniature one and we put it on the coffee table when people come who have small children. And that gives the mothers less worry. They can concentrate on the conversation. There's something, uh, one tip for hospitality. I know we're not quite there yet, but uh, I keep a set of blocks from Discovery House from years ago or whatever. I gave away most of my kids' toys, but I have that and I have kitchen plastic things. And then I just bring out a basket of that or art supplies if the kids are a little bit yeah. older. And then you just set them up at a place where, you know, they won't kill each other or the furniture and, and it just helps the mother be happy. You know, you're there to serve. That's the difference between hospitality and entertaining. Not the main thing is that we focus on the guests. So if a way to focus on the guest and for you to be more relaxed yeah. is to have one set of toys ready, it's smart to keep it in the garage or the understairs closet or something and have it ready to go. And I've had people leave and my house has been a disaster. And then I've had other people leave who make sure their kids pick up after themselves. It happens both ways. That's right. And, <laughs> and I've had to, with stuff like that, even realize like that doesn't mean that one parent is quote unquote, the good right. parent and no. the other parent is not. Cause exactly. sometimes it's all, it just depends. You don't know what's going on in right. their life, I guess. They're, is what I they're should just say. so glad that they remembered to put their children in the car. So it's like, and I am too. <laughs> that's so me. That's, <laughs> that's me. Um, well, so I was going to ask you, you know, have you always enjoyed hosting people in your home? But it sounds like it's something that has come very natural to you. Would you say that's true? Uh, I would say always, but I've also seen the desperation that I have invited people in because I was single till I was 35. And in, in the church, even there are, it's hard to break into uh, a Christian church family when you don't have a family of your own. And so I, my first job, um, I had gotten acquainted with people. They liked me. I'm a friendly person. 
But one Sunday, I remember standing in the church parking lot and everybody was loading up their kids into their vans and off they were going and no one was inviting me home for Sunday dinner. And I thought to myself, I know they like me. I know they like me. Why aren't they inviting me over? Because if my mother were here, she would have invited me over. Mm -hmm. And that was just my mindset. And so what I had to do was invite them first. They didn't Mm -hmm. know. They weren't being cruel. And later when I had kids, I thought, well, they were just surviving. Mm -hmm. And so um, I began out of desperation, really. I was lonely uh, to invite. I started by inviting five, six women to my house married women, just women I liked right? Uh, for Saturday brunch. Number one, brunch is cheaper. I worked in a Christian school. I didn't have a lot of money. It was easy to do the recipes. And we just sat around and got acquainted, did that a few times. After that, any of those women would stop what they're doing and take me to lunch, pay for my lunch. They became my mentors and uh-huh. my best friends. And so later, four years later, when I went to Brazil, I had to start all over again. I was in Brazil for two years. I was only there for a short time. So my roommate said, Sue, you need to make some friends. And so I will do the guest list. So for five or six Friday nights in a row, she made the guest list of all the different missionaries, mixing singles with married people. And I made apple crisp five Friday nights in a row so that I could just get a jump start. So yes, you do hospitality to serve Jesus, but you also... um, you also make friends and you build your own community. And a lot of people say, well, you do that because you're an extrovert. I go, no, I did it because I was desperate. And the more you do it, you don't have to be an extrovert to do it. Well, and I always want to point out now at this point in my life that serving Jesus and making friends, they're not, they're not opposite of each other. And And they're not exclusive. Right. And it's okay to say I'm serving Jesus and I'm making friends because that goes actually hand in hand. There's a reason why he tells us we need to do life with other people uh, because life is lonely and Mm -hmm. because we need to be sanctified and uh, other people serve both purposes. So um, right, right. life is lonely. That is my mantra, but it's kind of a negative one. So I try to say it in a different way, but (laughs) I feel like loneliness is the world's disease and particularly the Western world. Mm. And we have automatic garage door openers and we come home from work. And unless you garden out front Mm -hmm. or unless you have a dog like Rosaria Butterfield, you do not get to know your neighbors unless you are very intentional. So so the fact that we started a remodel and that it lasted 13 years My husband, who's extreme introvert, became the go-to man. We would have all these strange men out in the front yard talking to him about chainsaws or things like that. And uh, so we have to be, uh, I mean, I didn't really want the remodel to go on any longer, but we- I was going to say 13 years. Oh my gosh. That's a whole podcast episode I'd like to have with you. (laughs) Well, we can, because I really, I wrote a retreat series on it called um, Remodeling 101, Building a Heart Like His. And when I gave it half, halfway through, this woman had the gall to say, so tomorrow, do we get to see pictures of the final product? I said, no, it's not done. That was like year six. Oh, I was, sweet goodness. I used to thank the women at the beginning of your conferences. Thank you for inviting me. I just had to get out of my house that doesn't have walls. Thank you so much. It's like a great joy to be here where it's warm. <laughs> I, I would struggle so yeah, much. Yeah, I did. I did. So it, much. Wasn't, it wasn't easy. But um, what were we saying? I don't well, I, friendships. You have to be intentional. 
Yeah. Well, and so tell me someone who is not raised in a hospitable home, what are some ways that you would say that, I mean, I'll speak about myself, you know, that we can really begin to break that chain of, I love what you call it, ungrace. It's Philip Yancey's line. I'm pretty sure. Breaking, okay. Breaking Good for you chain. for not taking credit, Sue. Good no. for you. Well, I'm just glad that I remembered because I do forget things now the older I get, but I'm fairly sure it's his line. And if not, it's someone, someone famous. Uh, breaking the chain of ungrace. I was struck by that because everybody has some ungrace in yeah. family of origin because we're imperfect parents. We have imperfect parents and some are worse than others. But I have some best friends who were not raised in a hospitable home. So it's been more of a challenge. And I, when I speak on hospitality, I list 17 reasons why we're not hospitable and one reason to go ahead and do it anyway. And the top reason is that you're not raised in a hospitable home. So to, to um, answer that, there are many things you can do, but the first thing is to pray for a hospitable heart. And I'm gonna be providing that prayer for your listeners today in your show notes. But I think it's important with any act of obedience that, especially if we feel like we're being dragged along by the Holy Spirit, that we need to ask for a heart of willingness. And God grants that. So it, with anything like, Lord, help me to be more obedient that I'm not so grumbly, or that I am more patient with my husband, or that I have hospitable heart where I want to open my heart because I really home because I really don't want to, you know, just admit it, God knows our God knows us anyway. So just tell them how we're feeling, right? right. I'm sure you're that way in your prayer life. So just Lord, help me want to do your will because it is a commandment. It is not a suggestion. And I just wrote an article for the Joyful Life magazine blog. If you want to refer your people to it about how it's not a hospital, it's not a spiritual gift. It's listed in some of them, but it's not a spiritual gift, but it is given to serve the body. And I feel it's given to, uh, open the world's eyes that they are invited to God's table. And that's the main reason we do it anyway. So I know you have an evangelistic heart and a heart of mission, Amber. And so for that reason alone, you're going to say, okay, I know my couch is shabby and I'm going to have to sew together 16 Afghans to cover it before I can have someone over, or I could just not have someone over, or I could just not worry about that. And so when I list those 17 reasons, I put the letter P for pride. And that was about almost every one, not all. And I could say, well, I'm too broke, which I am, or I'm too tired. I'm always too tired, or I don't really like this person that well, but that person (laughs) needs to know that God loves them, you know? So I need Mm -hmm. to get over myself. So you start with the prayer, right? And then secondly, you start small you just invite one person. We always invited my kids, elementary school teachers or junior high teachers over for tea after school. And my girls were delighted because we did it with a teacher because especially my youngest daughter was very introverted. And so it really made her feel special. And usually your kids will do all the talking. So if you're uncomfortable because you know, the teacher's not a believer or you don't know her personal life. I mean, this happened with me Uh, with one teacher and she ended up, I ended up calling her about something else and she started crying because her boyfriend had just dumped her. I mean, and then we went to breakfast and now she comes every Christmas Eve, every Christmas Eve. And she was my girl's 
all three of my girls, fifth grade teacher, and she doesn't know the Lord. And she comes every Christmas Eve and brings her famous homemade rolls. And uh, we have like 30 or 35 people. She feels part of our family because of an invitation to tea. And, um, and uh, she knows what I do. And she doesn't engage too much on the Christian part. But you know what, that's God's job. God's job is to save people. Our job is to invite people to our tables. And perhaps Mm. for the first time, they will meet Jesus. Maybe. Mm. That's not my job to check a box. That's to get them saved. My job is to obey. Oh, Oh, so true. Well, so tell me though, with that example, did you invite them over to tea every week or was it just on occasion or what does that kind of look like? I I mean, not that there's a formula. I don't want anyone to think there's a formula. I'm just curious. Well, I, the Lord in this great, uh, mercy, love guidance had me married to, has me married to a totally opposite personality, which has changed the way my hospitality looks compared to my parents. For one thing, he doesn't play ping pong. But uh, <laughs> the deal is, is that we do it a whole lot differently. And I got very frustrated in early years of marriage. I had to really talk to him about it because I feel I'm called, I feel like we're all called hospitality. But you know what? Mark and I now do hospitality a totally different way, but we still do it. And he is so great. He loves it. Um, he He is a medical doctor, so he's with people all day. So he's exhausted. So I do hospitality when there are other men involved where he has to engage more or where he might be more like stressed only on the weekends and not very often. I can have my single friends over all the time without any notice. And he ends up being like an extra dad to them. He helps fix their cars or puts on band-aids or gives stitches or whatever. But he, and then we've had international students in our home living with us for over a year at a time for about, we've probably had over 30 students. So our kids were raised with strangers in the guest room. It was a part-time job for me. We got paid. It wasn't like a Christian thing, but God used it. Yeah. And then Marcus loves, and he really does uh, love working with or relating with people from other cultures. So I've had to learn to appreciate different ways to do hospitality. Uh, One year, um, I invited 100 people to a chocolate Christmas open house, because I thought it was a good way to return a lot of invitations to like other doctors homes. And I wasn't hoity toity. And I didn't really know what I was doing. I was early. Well, I I was, I had just had my second baby. So it was pretty, pretty on and she Oh, girl, she was in a cradle in the front room. And there were Oh, 50 people came not 100. But they were crowded. They didn't know. They thought she was a doll. So they would hit the cradle and they go, oh, a real baby. And I thought, well, that's appropriate because Jesus was in a manger, you know, but this was a nice cradle I'd borrowed from somebody. But anyway, and the only Christian thing about it was my girlfriend, another Christian doctor's wife, made a a layer cake, a chocolate layer cake, and it said, happy birthday, Jesus on it. And so that was the testimony of the evening. But my point is afterwards, my husband go next year, he goes, could you like never do that again? And uh, (laughs) he didn't say it that way. He said, this has been a very stressful year at work, which it was. And he rarely complained. So then I had to listen to him. And he said, could this year, because I was gearing up to do it again, because it was such a hit. Everybody loved, everybody brought chocolate. Yeah. Everybody had fun. Yeah, we did a chocolate open yeah. house one time. So now I'm like, yeah. I haven't done that That's, since we were married. I need to do it again. It's so easy. And we had a non-chocolate table, you know, with hors d'oeuvres and stuff. I said, okay. 
So I had a neighborhood Christmas brunch on a Saturday morning so that working women would be available. And we've been doing that now for 25 years. So people know when they move into the neighborhood, they'll get an invitation. I don't get a big turnout. We have 90 homes in our neighborhood. I only get 10 or 15. Um, but from that have come uh, friendships. It's just, you know, God's used that. But I see change to defer to my husband because I think that we're called, first of all, to be hospitable to our own families. And if I am mm. yelling, which I did the other night, I thought someone was coming in without asking. And I had asked Mark to put our dog in the kennel because she jumps on our guests until she calms down. And he hadn't done it yet. And so it's like, Mark! And he goes, you don't have to yell. And I thought, oh my gosh, I have not grown spiritually one iota. Oh, yes, you have. <laughs> but see, those kinds of things still, yeah, but if we're running around yelling at our family right beforehand, God is not pleased. And he <sighs> works in spite of me. But um, when we're so worried about how things are going to be, we're not really thinking about the guests. You know, I'm really convicted right <laughs> now. And I really want to go on a whole different tangent and just ask you to counsel sure. me because this is, well, I'm not <laughs> going to because... Again, this is for the, for the listener and for me, but it is, you know, there are other people who we all struggle with different things. And so, you know, what I love about what something that you just said is how hospitality and pretty much anything that God has called us to do doesn't always have to look a certain mm -hmm. way. Because when you say that your husband can step into helping the single woman, what yeah, a gift. So great. Not every man, not every woman needs to be the one who wants to go out and throw the football. There are other right. things or hit the ping mm -hmm. pong ball. But sometimes I'm speaking to myself, our, our minds are so closed off and we have just been so educated to only do things like one to five mm -hmm. ways that we have a hard time thinking mm -hmm. outside the box. And not only that, I have several friends who are, who've been through divorces and they admire Mark because of his quiet steadfastness. Mm. And that's good for him. And, his, and faithfulness. his faithfulness. And he, and that is good for me to remind myself, oh yeah, he's a pretty good man, even though he drives me crazy, you know, 50% of the time. <laughs> and not that they long to marry him. They just know what it could be because of God, you know, and they're hurting yeah. and they can talk to another man. You know, they're used to a man in their life. There's different conversation. And uh, there's a, um, a nurse in our neighborhood who was terribly hurt after 39 years of marriage. And, and she comes for dinner freely. I mean, she'll come, she'll make, she'll make the dinner. She just wants to come and sit. And because she's a nurse, she talks to Mark about medical stuff in the medical field. And it's a comfort to her. And she's a great prayer warrior. So she prays for my kids. So, um, you know, God has been so good in showing me as well that hospitality doesn't have to look like my parents. And um, yeah. another step Ooh. that you can, that could be an encouragement is to start um, simple, you know, do store-bought uh, one person, do a single person with a, a family. They need to feel part of the family. The Psalms, I think it says that God has set the lonely in, fam in families. Well, what bigger family is the church family? And there are more lonely people in the church than just about anywhere because other people just go have book clubs or they go to the bars or they go somewhere else because they know how necessary it is. And yet a lonely person has a hard time admitting they're lonely because, because it shows that there's something wrong with them, they think. 
And so we need to take the initiative. Let me tell you this story. I was sitting close to the front of the church one Sunday. And again, I was eight months pregnant with the same daughter, actually. And I looked up at the choir. We used to have a choir and there was a woman there that I was acquainted with, but I wasn't friends with. And it dawned on me while she was singing away that her two best friends uh, had just coincidentally both moved that week. So I knew that her two best friends were gone, like out of California. And I thought, oh my gosh, that must be so hard on Suzanne. So I caught her afterwards and I said, Suzanne, would you like to come for lunch? Like right now, um, but you can only stay an hour because I have to paint the kitchen before this baby comes. And so she tells she tells the story <laughs> a lot. And so she uh, came over because she was kind of startled. And now that I know her better, I know she is an introvert. She was like kind of taken aback. And she came over and I loved hearing her story. And I found out that she really knew how to do handy things around the house. Again, another divorced single mm-hmm. mother of one. And so it turned out she went home, changed her clothes and came back and helped me paint the kitchen. And she and her grown daughter, who's now in her fifties, have had every Christmas Eve and Christmas morning with us for the past 25, 30 years. The kids, I used to have to say, kids, can I invite this certain person because it's a certain family thing? I always now say now, Aunt Kelly and and Heather are coming. Well, that's no big deal, they'll say. They're even on the spreadsheet for the gifts. I mean, (laughs) there's just so many questions I could ask. There are so many I, I know I need to just though, I feel like I'm like, uh, I'm going to ask my husband, can I just go spend a week at Sue's house in California for a lot of different reasons? Um, but the primary one is to just watch her do hospitality. Well, so tell me what are, I mean, you, you've already said one of the most common, you know, fears or misunderstandings of hospitality. You, you've spoken that to us a little bit, but what are some other fears that people have about inviting people into their home? I mean, there are things like, oh, my home's not clean enough, which this yeah. is me. I get angry with my mm-hmm. family because before anybody comes over, I feel like everything has right. to be perfect. Right. The house is big. I mean, I've heard people say my house is not big enough. So it's a big idea. I mean, it's a big blockade. Um, another one is that my kids won't behave. I had a couple of a neighbor, a new neighbor. Mm. I said, I'd love to have your family for Christmas. Well, we can't come because of our baby. And I said, well, why not? You know, they ended up coming, but they were afraid of the way that the children would behave. And I get that my children are not perfect. My children have terribly misbehaved with companies. So I understand that. So they're afraid of that. They're afraid of our judgment on them. And they're um, Mm. afraid that they won't measure up. And as a hostess, um, I met with two women, both pregnant with their second child. I only mentioned that because my mentor said, Sue, you need to write a Bible study to go along with your first, first book on hospitality. I go, okay. And she goes, and you need to address it to the women who need to hear it. So I asked these two friends of mine who are quite a bit younger. And I said, would you go with me on a Bible study? So I wrote a chapter every two weeks and we would meet in a restaurant And they came and we discussed the chapter and um, we got six chapters in and they both had their babies. And then I didn't finish my Bible study till like six years later, because my mentor told me it's time to finish. But anyway, that was kind of funny. But one of the gals, uh, a beautiful gal, she is so talented in interior design and she has a great influencer following and all these things. But she said to me, I was so startled. She goes, Sue, I really like getting ready for company. I've, I had been to her home, so I know that. I love getting everything. It's like a Pinterest home before Pinterest. And she goes, but when they come in the door, I don't know what to do next. 
And there was this like this silence because I thought, you know, in my mind, I thought, well, what do you mean? It's so it's easy, so for, easy for me. Now I have had her come over and get my house ready for like my daughter's graduation party <laughs> because that's our gift. Tag, <laughs> tag team hospitality. That is, that's one of my <laughs> tips actually. But um, I was so startled that I thought I have to address that because I'm bad. She's not alone. And so um, I have written a book on conversation starters because I just, well, there's all sorts of reasons. I didn't really want to go into that right now, but the, the idea is that you don't really know how to engage someone. If you can go to the door, like when it, the doorbell rings and I have a big entryway. So it takes me a while to get to the door if I'm way back here by the computer. But if you're walking slowly, you can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me about seven times before you open that door, especially if you're grabbing the dog by the collar. And you rely on the Lord because this person needs to know Jesus or this person mm. needs to feel noticed by Jesus. You know, a friend of mine, a life coach, Kathy Vick said, the church is not supposed to not just have a sanctuary, it's to be a sanctuary. And if the only way I can get someone to come to church is to come first to my home, then I better well do it. So to have a higher mm. motivation, which is God's motivation, not because I'm kicking you in the pants, but it's God's motivation. That gets me to do all sorts of hard things, like to tell the truth yeah. or to not gossip or to bring someone in my home or to not buy this thing that I want. It's a higher motivation that we are called to, Amber, and you know that. And that higher motivation yeah. gets us not necessarily not to be fearful because I still am fearful. I do things afraid. I podcast afraid at times, or I do such and such. I speak afraid until I get into it, but you do it because God has called us to, and anything he's called us to, he will enable us to do. So the fact that these women now like are asking, Sue, when's your next wine night? And this is how it started. There are three college girls, kids, a guy and two girls, <clears throat> excuse me, sitting in front of us at church. And so after church, I got acquainted with them, found out two of them worked in this really great cafe. And I invited, I said, would you like to come for dinner a week from Tuesday? I knew that week wasn't good. And they all said, yes, because college kids, you know, eat for a living and they need to be, in fact, our church has a pro, uh, we have a, we're a college town, Cal Poly University is here. And we have a, um, a ministry where you adopt a college student. And it's so that the student who's away from home can have a home cooked meal like once a month. So we've had many through the years and they help babysit your kids. I mean, it's kind of a win-win, but these, uh, these I just met. So they were coming uh, for dinner a week from Tuesday. And then Mark and I went out for lunch and the server, I found out she was a crusade member's daughter, but not going to church. So I said, Hey, you want to go and join some other college kids come for dinner a week from Tuesday? And she did. So anyway, uh, awesome. one of the girls there, <clears throat> they all I had them each share their story around the table. And then when I got to this one gal, she said, well, I have already graduated, went to USC. I came up to your town because of a boyfriend. And then he broke up with me. And I mm. said, oh, well, I'd been through that, you know, years before, but plenty of times. And so, you know, God brings people through my home, but only a few stick. And that's good because my home's not that big. And so I don't think you need to worry about, oh, I have too many people in my life. You just let the Lord pick them. So he picked Jenny for me. And I said later, would you like to come over just on your own sometime? And she would bring over a bottle of wine and cry about this young man. And I kept reassuring her, aren't you glad you dodged a bullet? 
And um, through the months, then uh, she would come like once a month. And, and then she mentioned it to somebody else, also named Jenny, who said, well, I want to come to wine night, who invited another girl named Jamie. And so then we had these wine nights with Jenny, Jenny and Jamie. And then <laughs> that could be uh, a TV Je- show. The first Jenny, one Jenny started this wine night. And then I, I found I go to the gym occasionally. And there's this one gal I really liked, but I didn't really remember her name or anything. And I, and she would um, talk to me briefly. And then I said to her, do you like wine? And she goes, yes. And I said, well, I have a few women over for wine. Would you like to come? And she just said, yes. And she was a little late, but she came, there were about 12 women. And I just asked these about half were Christians, half not. And really through my brother Hyatt, he's an amazing conversationalist and witty as I'll get out and a godly man. Um, He always he told me once that he went to a party and it was a little boring and he's a creative genius. He's a, an artist and a speaker. And I, and he said, so I just sort of um, asked everybody at the table, well, how about everybody share, where did you live when you were 10 years old and what were you doing? And everybody was delighted to share that answer to the story and all these stories spawned off of it. And then he said, okay. And where, and he goes, and I'll start, you know, I lived in Wisconsin, which was news to everybody. And then he said, okay, so what were you doing? And where were you living when you were 19? And then more stories. And then he told me, and he said, Sue, there afterwards, he goes, first of all, this was not my party. And I was plain host. So I was very conscious of the hostess. Like I wasn't going to overrun her, though he could easily right. he probably would, but everybody likes Hyatt. So they forgive him. But he said, well, and some people will welcome that because not it, it, some people like that's mm-hmm. fine with me, please. Yeah. Cause you get to hear interesting things. I'm usually the, the Hyatt yes, in the room. Me too. Like, so get, yeah. Get and so going. then he goes, well, what was the cool thing about the most exciting thing was that there was this young woman at the table that he sort of knew and he didn't really care for her, but he said when she shared her story, like her, her, I think it was her career ups and downs. He said, I was drawn to her and we became friends and see what happens. Cause I do conversation starters at almost every gathering is that afterwards, people who have connected, keep connecting. And it's almost like, you don't have to be responsible for being everybody's best friend. They go out and make other friends. I've had friends text me now, who was that chiropractor? I really want to use her for, you know, because she struck me and also I want to introduce her to my son and, you know, things like that get, you know, I love to be a networker, but for God's sake, for not to make me popular. And uh, now people just know, like, because I'm bossy, I'll say, because I have to quiet this woman down. It's loud in here, you know, and even doing it outside. I've done it outside this past year. Say, okay, you guys, we got to sit down there. I'll like, okay, now for Sue's questions. So this last time, um, it was so, oh, well, it was actually one that was inside. It was so precious. That time that that friend came from the gym. Well, that's what I was going to say. I want to know, questions? like, what did that conversation I, look like? Yeah. Like you're, you've got these people, you're having a wine night, but not everybody knows Most each other. Most of them don't know each other. And there are women ages 26 to my age, I'm 69. So, um, you know, most of them are probably in their forties and fifties, but you know, a lot of younger ones too, some single. Yeah. So I said, okay, we have two, I always have two questions. And this is the point. The first question is to make them feel comfortable talking. 
So you do a non-invasive question, like Hyatt's question was a non-invasive question. Where did you live? Often, if I'm having a coffee, I'll say, how did you move to San Luis? Because we're a unique town. It's expensive to live here. You either come as a student or a professional, or you come on a dare, you know? And so it's interesting to hear those stories, but they're not hard to answer, right? So the first question is more surface. I call them surface questions. And so my book is full of surface questions as well as deeper questions. And then the second question is to engage their heart. And so uh, the first question that evening was, what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were little? That was the most, I always thought of it during the day. This was before I wrote the book. And I thought that was the most hilarious answer. So many girls, women said, I was going to be a ballet dancer and I am two left foot, you know, or I was going to be, you know, a roller skater and whatever. Is it bad that I totally can't remember what I said when I was a kid? Like I, people ask that question. I'm like, I have no idea, but my son will say he's going to work as a Mm -hmm. gas station attendant. And I still to this day, I'm like, I'll never let you forget that. I mean, because I totally couldn't see him doing that. So funny. We had great answers. And then the second, but I have them do it right in a row. So each person talks. First, I say, you know, tell us uh, who you are and a little bit about about you, but I just don't want it to go on and on. And I warn them, I go, this is a big group tonight. Cause it used to be like four or six women. Now it's 15. Now it's 15. Yeah. I go, we can't be here all night. So quickly on your family or who you are. And then they answer the two questions right in a row. So we don't have to, you know, some people have to leave before we finish that. So he said, but so the second question was, so the first question was, who did you want to be? Or what did you want to be when you were little, when you grew up? The second question was, who are you becoming right now? And everybody went, hmm, like that. <laughs> Two women going through divorce said, I don't know who I'm becoming, but I'm going to work on it this year. And one of those women came up to me afterwards. It was the gal from the gym. And she said, this was really good. And I, I said, well, I find that women are lonely. I just took that one little step. And she said, I'm lonely. And then later we were chatting by the fire and I asked her, I said, do you have any faith background? Well, then she told me the story of what she was. And now she, and then she said some things that I wouldn't agree with politically. You know, she knew that. So later she finds, she right. chases me down in the kitchen. She goes, can we still be friends if I am not pro-life? That's what she said. I go, yes. Hey. <laughs> I love though that people yeah, will just yeah, say that. Like yeah. just say I said, it. you know, uh, yeah, uh, we can still be friends. And then. And then I started inviting her over on Fridays to walk the dog. And then we started eating together. So every Friday now, it's been two years or no, a year and a half. We just met last week. I mean, there'll be times two or three weeks in a row where we can't meet because of obligations. But since then, the divorce is finalized. I just sent an article into Joyful Life magazine on 31 uncomplicated prayers. And I had her read them all. And she said, well, those could all be mine. And I don't know mm. what's going on, but it came because of a question. So God uses questions because yeah, he, does. he uh, wants us to show others that we are interested in their lives, not mm. just so that we collect a lot of friends. It's to show that God's, it's like Hagar said that she felt noticed by God. Was it Hagar? Uh, we need to be God's eyes on the women and men of this world. I mean, there's this man, Christopher, with no teeth, who reads uh, science fiction on the street. 
every day by our grocery store across the street. And I'm talking to my sister on Marco Polo on my phone yesterday. I'm walking by and I just said, he was out in the middle of the um, sidewalk. I've invited him for Thanksgiving, but he just goes, oh, no, thanks. God bless you. But anyway, I know he <laughs> likes science fiction. So I give him science fiction novels that I like. Anyway, you are. This <laughs> so is awesome. I said to him, I'm in the middle of my conversation. I go, Christopher, I'm going into the grocery store. Do you need anything? And of course he said, no, but see, just to offer that, like they're a normal person because they're seen by God. You know, uh-huh. I can't save anybody, but I can introduce them to the one who sees them. And that's what hospitality, Amber, is. It's not showing off my matching napkins or placemats or fresh flowers. It's not. And that's where we get hung mm. up. Yeah. I mean, I'm convicted. I get hung up on it for sure. And I think that's the that's the value too of of getting to a place where you actually have a habit of prayer. Mm. And I say that because you have to develop practices that become habitual or it's, you're really, uh, I can be really quick to miss it even faster because I didn't just stop and mm. pray. Like you were saying, one of the very first things you can do is pray for God to make you willing. Something that Stephanie Russelli has said to me, uh, during our conversation was I may not be willing, but I'm willing to right. be made willing. So Lord make me willing, <laughs> you know, and, and there's so like just, just praying and saying like, okay, Lord, yeah, I, I don't really want to pay attention mm-hmm. to that person. So give me mm-hmm. a heart that wants to pay attention to mm-hmm. that person that wants to engage that person. And then just thinking about your words about questions um, in a conversation with, with several people, but also with Becky Pippert, the way, you know, she's like, think about Jesus. What did he do? Why were people drawn to him? He really was a great question mm-hmm. asker. Mm-hmm. That's how he engaged yep. people. You know, I mean, he loved people by asking yep. questions and, and then extending mm-hmm. the invitation to the one who could say, right. Them. For me to go around and share the good news of the gospel, I feel a little awkward doing that, but I can ask someone a question like, mm-hmm. so you have three daughters. So how's that going? Because I have three daughters yeah. and it can be a challenge. That's right. Uh, Jesus said, who touched me? That led to a healing and it led to a lot of Mm -hmm. revealing of hypocrisy. He, he, uh, he asked Peter, do you love me? Well, what was the answer? Well, of course I love you. Well, what did Jesus say then? Then feed my sheep, sheep. right? That's Mm -hmm. the, you know, he always comes back around or who do you say I am? He said, you know, and that gives us a chance to say, well, I don't, I guess I don't really believe you're God because I'm so anxious. Ooh, yeah, that, ah. I, I, like I said, I could go on and on and on with you. And so I, I do want to ask a couple more questions as we begin to close out here. One of those being when it comes to just being hospitable versus entertaining, and you've, you've spoken to the, that a little bit as well in the beginning, but tell us what is the real crucial difference in that? And then how can we kind of do a little bit of a mind shift? Because where I get hung up is more in the moment. I'm all excited to have people over. And then all of a sudden, I kind of get down this rabbit trail of making things that aren't the main thing, the <laughs> That's main easy thing. to do. That's easy to do for me as well. Because mm-hmm. um, I do love beauty and creativity. 
and I love to eat. So those things can get in the way sometimes of true hospitality. The biblical definition of hospitality is welcoming strangers. And if we thought hospitality, most people think hospitality, even Christians, is getting together with a bunch of your best friends. Now, I'm not mm. uh, saying that. That is a good thing to do. We had good friends over for dinner on this last Saturday night, but we hardly ever do that because I can wear out my husband. But yeah. so the main difference in hospitality and inter entertaining is that you're concentrating on the guest. If you know that that is your mindset, which goes into your second question, then you ask God for help to help you concentrate on the yeah. guest because none of us know, even with our best friends, what they're truly going through. In fact, they may not even be aware of their greatest needs. So when we have someone over and we're thinking about them, the Holy Spirit is really doing the work, Amber. I used to get so frustrated because I want my neighbor across the street to come to know Jesus. And we've lived here uh, for about 31 years in this house. And as far as I know, he doesn't. But God told me years ago that it wasn't my job to save him. And it was my job to be Jesus to him and invite him and all that sort of thing. So if you can get over the response, the, the self-imposed responsibility that you have to perform as a perfect hostess, that is not our job, Amber. Our job is to do the best we can. Like we don't want to be a slovenly podcaster. I don't want to be an unprepared right. Christian women's event speaker. I want to be ready for my guest, but I want my message to be for the ones who have come to my home. And the message they'll get from about Jesus the most is how well I serve my family in front of them and that I don't bark back at them mm. and that I um, want to serve their needs. I, I want to like give them coffee and they say, no, I want tea. Well, am I going to force coffee on them? No, that's silly. And so Next time you're getting, I'd like to say, if you want to do simple hospitality, write down 10 things you feel like you have to do and cut the list in half. Save mm. your soul and your family's soul by doing it simpler. And if that, I was supported uh, when I, with Wycliffe, I was a missionary with them uh, a while back from this couple who gave me $100 a month. That was my biggest supporter. And so when I came home on uh, for a break, they had me for dinner and I expected this big fancy dinner. They ordered pizza and we sat on the floor and yeah. I loved it for one thing. Now I know ordering pizza is very expensive, but, um, <laughs> but that was their style. And so that's another point I bring up in my book is that you do it in your own style, but we use the word practice. You, you were talking about practicing prayer. It's called practicing hospitality for a reason. Because That's when right. you practice it, you find out what your style is. I have a friend who would bring out her mother's china cups because she liked her mother's china cups, but I don't use that because they don't hold enough coffee. So that's my style. Another person uses Corel. Well, I don't like Corel, but she is the best cook around. So who cares, you know? And if you don't like to cook, that's another thing. Then you just go to Trader Joe's or Costco. Are you, you know, a really fun tip is that you learn one recipe really well and you just use the same one every yep. time. So all the, why, why are these tips good? They get your mind off yourself. It's always the it problem, always right? the problem. Any of the obedience. <laughs> well, and it's so easy too to be like, oh, well, when I get that fixed, I'll do this. Oh, yeah. Or when I do that. And that is mm -hmm. like, 
I praise God that having kids has totally. helped me to be less mm -hmm. that way. My back deck is a hot mess and it's going to stay a hot mess until lumber prices decrease. Mm -hmm. Right. But I mean, it, it, there was a point in my life where I would be like, I will never invite anybody over into my backyard because it looks like a mess. <laughs> and we just can get so hung mm -hmm. up on those things. And it's, I have learned, I think back on my grandmother who is really just a very hospitable person in general. Um, but it never looked perfect at her house. And I don't remember mm -hmm. ever caring. That's exactly right. Most, I just remember being yeah. with people and people just like to be invited. Yeah, they really do. I mean, they really, really do. And I love to you share in your newsletter, I think is it how often do you share a recipe? I can't remember. I don't have a regular amount of times. There are okay. 60 or 70 in my book. My first book, there are 12 in my Bible study because there's one for each one. Oh, this is fun. This group up in Oregon did my Bible study and then I called them and did a FaceTime with them. And they had their last Bible study meeting. They each had made one of the 12 recipes and that was their potluck, which was kind of strange because it was in the morning. And so some were dinner recipes and some were desserts. Yeah, but it that's was fantastic. fantastic. <laughs> right. That's yeah. so fun. And so I want to make sure everybody knows where they can get into your books about conversation starters, hospitality, okay. the recipes, all the things. So share that with us. Okay. Um, my website is welcomeheart.com and just go to the shop. The cool thing, one, I just want to add this thing about conversation starters. I started it as a printable and some people prefer printables because they can, don't have to go to Amazon. They can just print off the ones they want. That's right. And so I have two versions. I don't want people to be confused and it's a little less expensive for the, it's seven bucks. It's not worth, it's not very expensive, but my brother, who's a, my other brother, who's a real talker, his wife's a real introvert and they were having strangers for Thanksgiving. So he bought my printable. And I go, really, Steve, you need that? He goes, well, Karen wanted it. And so what we did was we printed off the pages and then we cut them in yeah. strips and we put them in a basket and our guests would pick them while I was helping Karen carve the turkey. And I thought that is a genius idea. Yeah. So you can get one in the printable form or you can get one off of Amazon, 252 conversation starters, say something special, the ultimate guide in, I don't know, something. I don't remember the title is too long, obviously. <laughs> But anyway, well, the yeah. good thing is there's plenty of things that will be, um, <laughs> that will be linked in the show notes. Yeah. You do have a freebie for people listening today that I will put there as well. Okay. And I just want to say what you kind of reiterate what you said about having one, you know, recipe that you get really, really good at something that I have learned again, I'm no expert, but when you are feeding a group of people, anybody can learn to make soups, very simple. Um, also like pulled pork, yep. chicken fajitas. Those are pork. like the two easiest meals to serve a big group in the yep. entire world. Right. And they love them and they love them. Yeah. I, kids even love those things. Yes. So, right. so that's also really, really great. But, um, Sue, I, again, just really appreciate your time, what you're doing. I want to encourage people to check out, not just your website, but you have a free Facebook group. Is that welcome heart? Well, what is that one under? It's called Welcome Heart, Welcome Home. Everybody's invited. We talk about a tuna casseroles and why we don't do hospitality when we don't. And if our grandmother did or not, like what you just mentioned. And it's just a fun group and it's free. So yeah, come on over to that. Also, I podcast on, uh, comes out every Sunday, Make It Count, Living a Legacy Life. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. You're great. You can find all of the resources Sue mentioned linked in the show notes at graceenoughpodcast.com slash hospitality. 
including Sue's free gift to you, which is a prayer for a hospitable heart, a recipe, and a mentoring worksheet packet. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time. This episode was brought to you in part by Just These Guys, you know? A pastor and a psychologist team up to break down scripture and psychology, empowering you to transform by the renewing of your mind. Listen today at justtheseguys.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just these guys, you know?